Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We lift you up tonight, God. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is none like you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He deserves our praise. Hallelujah. He deserves our worship. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. It, it never gets old worshiping God, does it? Amen. I I know I'm I'm not the oldest in the room or I'm not the youngest, but as long as I've been in church, it just never gets old. Yeah, every service you come into his presence, you just feel the, the refreshing power of his his majesty and his presence in your life, and it never gets old. And it never will. Amen. Today begins our worship for eternity. Amen. Because as we are doing it now. Amen. We will see him one day and we'll be continuing to this life of worship. Amen. The, the, the prophet Isaiah caught a vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6 in the year King Uzziah died. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. What he saw, he saw some angels, saw some seraphims with six wings. Two, two it flew, two it covered its face, and two covered his feet. And all it did was just worship the Lord and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of its glory. Amen. The seraphims in heaven have been worshiping God forever for all of their existence. And you know what? They've never seen him. Their, their wings have covered their face. I assume it's been since their creation. They've been there around the throne just hovering, worshiping God and His majesty. But what's different about us is the Bible says that when He comes, we shall see Him as He is. We're going to get to see the Lord. Angels haven't seen Him, but we're going to see Him. We're going to see Him as He is. We'll become like Him. Aren't you grateful for that opportunity? And I believe that's coming right around the corner where we're going to be raptured out of here and see our Lord and Savior face to face. Amen. It's not the time to fall asleep. It's not the time to quit in, on our commitments and our consecration to God. But I mean, now's the time to draw closer to Him than ever before because His return is so soon. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to worship the Lord together. Amen. We know it's always a, a wonderful time to gather as the body of Christ. Amen. To exalt Jesus. Amen. Um, Sister Carolyn has asked request, a prayer request for her neighbors. They're, their neighbors, good friends of them, I guess, um, suddenly lost their son. And so they asked that they would be lifted up in prayer. Amen. We don't know really who they are. They've said they've been here before, but uh, we know that God knows them. God knows their situation, and God can uh, touch them. So we want to keep them in our prayers. Amen. During this time. Amen. And um, we also want to uh, thank you for your continued giving to the kingdom of God. However, however way you do it, God knows. Amen. He's a great record keeper and he blesses those that bless him. Amen. Amen. And uh, exciting to report that uh, Sister Rebecca, uh, uh, she, she's been seeking the Holy Ghost and she says she got it this morning. Amen. At her, at her house, in her room. Amen. And so she just couldn't, once the tongue started going, she couldn't keep quiet. And so isn't that a great thing? 
We're excited about that, being born of the Spirit. Amen. We know that God's got great things in store for her. Amen. That, uh, amen. We want to keep that fire going in our lives. Amen. We want to have our uh, young minister come, Senor Andy. You want to come on up, brother? Minister to us. I didn't say senior. I said senor. Amen. And kids' church, you may be uh, dismissed. Amen. You don't want to be here for this. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Let's worship with, with him. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. God is good. He is good. Praise God. If we would just give him, I'll tell you what, let, let me read the scriptures. They're his anyway. And um, I want to make sure that uh, we give him praise because this is his word that we're declaring here. It's, it's him. We'll start with scripture. Uh, if you open up your Bibles to John 3, 17. And I know we all know John 3, 16 by heart. But this one here kind of... Uh, you know, it's, it, when it comes, it's, it's that, that initial, but it's what comes after. It's like in believing and then receiving the Holy Ghost. It's, what, it's, it's that, that beauty of that, that word that just uh, enlightens us and sets us on fire. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. And the next scripture would be, and you, don't have, you can just look up on because I've got a few going through, through here. John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. This is Jesus declaring this. And I think in Acts 2.38, I have to put this one in because this is what they spoke. Then Peter said unto them, we know it, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then John 18.37-38, like I said, it's quite a bit here. But trust me, we're going somewhere here, praise the Lord. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. Uh, to this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I, may, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. So that declares a big portion of what we're going to talk about here today. And then Revelations 21, 12 through 14. And had a wall and great and had 12 gates and the gates and the 12, 12 angels and the names written thereof, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The importance of truth. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, I'll tell you, let's give thanks to the Lord. Lord, uh, we thank you for this word today. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us, Lord. Let our hearts be always softened, Lord, to, pre to prepare us, Lord, for what is going to come, that we may receive conviction, Lord, because you change us and transform us every day. Every day, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, moving right on. So without understanding truth, I'm just going to elaborate a little bit on this because I'm going to compare, bring two different, two, the, the truth of the world and the truth of God. And many of us already know what the truth of the Lord is. It's, his word is truth. It's solid. It doesn't change. It's already been set. And so with, that, with, with saying that, without understanding 
truth, there would be no way to distinguish good, good or evil. So without truth, there is no distinguish of good or evil. The opposite truth would be deception or a lie. So I went searching, and I couldn't quite figure out where could I search for something like this. And the best place to do comparison is we have God, and then we have the world. So I had to go on the Internet. Everybody goes to the Internet, right? So we go to the Internet, and we find what we find at times to be, okay, this seems like a good answer, but not always. So philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, they're common philosophers that we hear about pretty often. I remember reading one, uh, a book about uh, David Bernard's books where he spoke of Plato. What he said about Plato was not a good report because it was concerning the doctrine that Plato had brought forth from his own understanding. Now, I had meant to, to seek this in the past, but recently just came across it. Philosophy has no place in God's understanding. And please understand, I'm not shooting down any philosopher whose words line up with the word of God. God has a way of using the things of the world to bring understanding to those who do not understand him. God can be heard, I'm sorry, God can be hard to understand if we do not have a relationship with him. I believe this is why the Lord Jesus says that we must come, like, come to him like children. He was referring to the ones that were coming to him and the people and the apostles were pretty much... Uh, denying the children to come to him. So our hearts have to be softened. they got to be like children. He said, and Jesus said, let them, the little children, come to me because the kingdom is filled with these. So in doing so, knowledge has a way of puffing us up and becoming prideful. And God has a way of humbling the prideful through love and mercy. So I find theories of truth as I search the web, as I said before, and I was curious. Uh, but, uh, but to see through the eyes of the world's understanding, this is what I had to do. So I come through three, three basic, and some of you may knew, know these because some of us have been to college, and I'm not downing college or anything like that, but here's what I've come across. Three most widely accepted contemporary theories of truth, it says. The correspondence of theory, the somatic theory of Tarski and Davidson, and the deflationary theory of Frege and Ramsey. I'm not sure if that's Frege or Frege, but there's two other ones competing theories, uh, the coherence theory and the pragmatic theory. That's not what I'm looking at today. I'm looking at the first three. But I start to read these theories in, in, uh, in detail, and it really takes me by surprise. And it made me think and wonder how bad was this for the generation at that time. And I'm thinking about the children of Israel. And I'm also thinking about the children of during that time, the Dome of the Romans, and also Je during the times of Jesus. Then again, I think we have the same problem now. So the, oops, sorry about that. One of the other thoughts is if there is enough truth behind it, here's another one of their thoughts. If there's enough truth behind it uh, and to support it as to what I, me, myself, or a group believe to be true, then it is right. That's, that's according to the world. However, this is nothing related to biblical. Uh, it's not related to any biblical agenda, I say agenda, biblical ways, nor is this what I'm talking about referring to any biblical agendas either. But to rediscover that and introduce clarity, that truth, what truth really is. With philosophies have no sound, philosophies have no sound foundation. And I say this because in order to understand one, you have to have a foundational understanding of the other so that you can, you're able to decipher uh, which one it applies to or what does it lean towards another philosophical thought. Paul also tells us, just to be aware of this as I bring this, Paul tells us not to be carried away by every wind of doctrine. So philosophy steers you in that direction, and God says, come back from that. Don't go to the right. Stay in the center. Don't go to the left. Come back to the center. 
So I went to Strong Concordance and explains truth as, the truth as taught in the Christian religion respecting God and the ex execution of his purposes through Christ and respecting the duties of man, opposing like alike to the superstitions, is opposing alike to the superstitions of the Gentiles and the inventions of the Jews and corrupt opinions and precepts of false teachers even among Christians. So this brought me into another Paul spoke of superstitions and inventions. And he's talking about in Galatians where the Jews are having people believe that they have to follow which was uh, set by the Jews only for the Jews. But he knew, we know uh, that was done away with by the cross. So in the book of Revelation, we read that the false doctrines already exist. This has already been existent. So it's been there. And we know that Jesus is preaching against it as well because in the book of Revelation, he's, I'm sorry, he speaks of it. But Paul is also coming back and he's, this is where we get all the epistles where he is coming back and he is declaring these things. You're, you're following these things. You're doing these things. And this is not what I want you to do. This is what I said before is what was there before. So come bring you to John, Second uh, John chapter 1. 9 verse 11, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. In there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his, of his evil deeds. So we need to be careful with that. Praise the Lord. Other unsound doctrines, or I say truths, said, again, these are worldly. These are not of God. I want to make that clear, okay? Uh, when someone uses this type of truth, they, uh, they have no concern uh, over uh, repercussions of what comes after it. Uh, if anybody's ever heard of empirical truth, and again, these are, okay, so, yeah. So these are, these are all true. It says, it's hard to establish and come, uh, can be inconvenient when it does not serve an immediate need. Politicians and other pers uh, persuaders love it when it, it's in their benefit. But when it goes against them, they don't like it anymore. So there's a, there's a, and then we have convenient truth is based on need, desire, emotion. Uh, it, and it basically what it does, it says it is the truth that deceivers seek. It is the truth that people seek when they want to be right, when they suspect they are wrong in relation to time. Convenient truth is about now and worries little about past and future. I have to admit, I have been here before. And every time I seek the word and God brings me back, he says, if you're looking for it and you can't find it, then you must be wrong. So I bring myself to the Bible and I say, Lord, if it's not there, I'm going to stop seeking. Because obviously if I'm trying to bring correction or I'm trying to bring justification for myself to do this action, then I'm going to remove that from my life and not, not pursue it anymore. Amen. All right. I ha and I'm going to, sorry, based on need, desire. I was going to say this. Anyhow, I have truth, and his name is Jesus. Philosophy will tell you that lie, that to live forever, philosophy will tell you to live however you want. However, the word of God says that you can live however you want, but your choices will determine your end. Philosophy uh, of the world will say there is no life after death, death according to man. Oh, but the Bible says that we have life in Christ Jesus who has resurrected us from the dead. At the time that we believed and we received the name and we were baptized and spoke in a heavenly language and the glory of God shined before us because we didn't understand it at first, but when we had become aware of the things that were happening in our life, the Lord spoke to us and he said, and walked in, walk in my statutes, keep my commandments if you love me. Because I have set these commandments for you, this moral law, according to my words, the Lord, that you may have a place in heaven with me. 
you got to think about it in a way that the Lord looked at it. When Pilate asked him, are you a king? He says, are you saying or I, that I'm one or is it others that are bringing that information to you that you may have an understanding of that? And Jesus said unto him, I have come to bear witness, to bear the truth, to bear witness of the truth. See, Pilate didn't know the truth that he was talking about. The Pharisees didn't understand the truth that was. And what Jesus was talking about, and here's why, because they didn't want it to be true. The truth is in front of you, and you don't want to receive it. It's denial. Anything that is denial against God is a lie. God is truth. To reject God is to say that I want to live in my ways. I want to live a lie. God says, no, come to me, and I will redeem you. I will free you. Should they, have, and now, should they have read the scriptures of Isaiah and clearly had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God, God would have exposed them to the wickedness, their wickedness, and he would have showed them who he was. However, it didn't happen. Instead, they took to their heart their philosophies, their thoughts. Pilate couldn't because he couldn't understand their thoughts or their philosophies because he was living according to the different type of philosophies that were his. As a matter of fact, Pilate was looking for facts to crucify Jesus. He was looking for facts to crucify Jesus. So he's handling them back. When he can't find anything, he's handing them back to him. I'll tell you what happened. When Jesus stood in the midst of them, the individual denied who he was. He saw their philosophy. He saw their thought, their theories, in their everything that was in them. And I'll tell you what he did. He stepped forward, and he ran over all their theories and all their philosophies like a freight train on a railroad track. He was torn to pieces. They were torn to pieces. I'm sorry. And philosophy stood the philosophy had no ground. Or better yet, they didn't hold any water. It ba it's basically a different doctrine with a different wind every single time. And I tell you, what, what the, wind, the wind, that kind of wind, is not of God. Let us not be taken by every wind of doctrine that does not adhere to the truth. Jesus came to preach the truth. Paul spoke about the truth. He, he said, don't let go of it. Hold on to it. Embrace it. Jesus talks about the revelation. You will have, uh, you will have what you will have left or forgotten he says, you have forgotten your first love. This is the truth. This is the gospel. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is calling them back. You have forgotten your first love. There had to be a way Jesus is true. There had to be a way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the inspiration that came forth in flesh. Do not understand what I'm saying? Well, he said to be believe on those who would bring the words, who would speak his words, of him. This is Jesus saying this, that they would believe on him who is Jesus Christ through them, the apostles. He was speaking about the commandments that there was something that needed to happen. My heart does not appeal. If my heart does not appeal to the words of the apostles, then I'm going to find myself in a lost place. I need to seek myself back to the Lord, pray fast, and do what's necessary. This is why Peter declared in Acts 2.30, and I bring it back. It's, it's a powerful piece of scripture. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. But I know he's the Lord. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Here he said, repent. Do away with it. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Baptism is the way to do away with the sin or remove. Even, even though you already have been forgiven through uh, repentance, this fulfills your act of obedience towards God. Which then allows you to work in your, he allows him to work in your, in your life to continue his word for spiritual growth. And that pretty much is, is what I have uh, listed. But I also wanted to share something. Uh, the reason I'm talking about this is because in my walk with the Lord, there, there's always been uh, things that come at me 
and I, not, not, not bad things, you know, dreams and so forth. But one particular one took me by surprise. It was, uh, I was uh, not, not here, but I was at another church. And I recollect, and I was laying in my bed. I'd already been filled with the Holy Ghost. And I remember the Lord uh, kind of woke me up in a dream. But before he woke me up, and I can feel my heart right now. Before he woke me up, I, re I remember standing in the midst, and there was a young man, and I was there, and he was speaking to me, and I was speaking to him, and somehow we parted ways. He went his way, and I went my way. Well, I knew about baptism in Jesus' name. He didn't, and I was well aware of that because I heard him, and I let him wander for a little bit, but then after time went by, I decided to approach him. It was, it's very important to bring this matter to him because he was walking about and telling people baptism in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, but I know it's in Jesus' name. So I pursue this young man, and I start to talk to him. And as I start to talk to him, uh, certain things start to, you know, the, the clouds start to come in, and it's, it, it's very strange. I ask him, hey, how you doing? He, might, he, he doesn't give me my, his name, but I remember that he was between the ages of 18 to 25 or 30 maybe. He was very young, short-haired, Caucasian, very specific. And I remember thinking, like, hey, I, I heard what you're teaching over there, but I just want to let you know that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Is that what you're preaching? And he says, and he starts to stutter, you know, and I'm thinking, well, okay, well, this doesn't happen in a dream, but obviously it happened in this one. So, but there, there was a point of description of what was happening in my life that would happen later. So here I am, I'm explaining to him, and I said, no, you don't understand. You must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And as I'm speaking to him, I see this cloud, the clouds in the heavens. And this cloud is large, it's huge, it's red. And it looks like, a th it looks like there's going to be fire coming down from this heaven. And as I'm standing there, I see him to my right, and there's a building on the right-hand side. This building is huge, it's massive. It almost looks like a, like in, uh, it's kind of a uh, Pentagon kind of sort of design, maybe about eight stories high. And I'm talking to him. And as I am talking to him, he looks at me. I look behind me. As he, I look behind me, there is the building again. From there, it was there. I don't know how it happened. It was my dream. And uh, as I turn and I look back that way, all of a sudden he's there as well. And I'm, and I'm testifying to this guy. And I'm trying to tell him that baptism in Jesus' name, this cloud comes down from the, from the heavens and takes up this building. It consumes it. it, it, it there's nothing left. And this guy is shaking, and I'm shaking as well because, remember, I am just new in the Lord. So there I am. I'm in a dream, by the way. I am shaking in my dream. And I recollect seeing to my left-hand side, there was, there was a door. There was a door that opened. And I knew that it was the glory of God. It was his glory, not mine. It was bright. He stood there. I fell to my knees, and I started to pray. And I said, Lord, I know it's you. And I looked up, and all I could see was eyes. I couldn't see his face, but I could see that he was dressed in an apparel that was very, very, it was, it was covering. And, but he, he, was, he was so bright, and again, all I saw was his eyes. And I cried to the Lord, and I said, Lord, forgive me if I've failed you. Forgive me if I've done anything wrong. I stand before your throne, and at that moment, I woke up. When I woke up, I went straight to my bathroom. I don't know why I did it. But I started to record what God had shown me. I didn't want to forget it. There was a reason for it. I didn't want to forget it. So I start to record it, and I record the whole thing, and I, I let it play for my wife and, and those who had heard it. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I didn't have to record it. I can remember it today so vividly 
as it happened that very day. This was almost six years ago, by the way. Almost six years ago. Shortly after that, uh, I rise up and I tell my wife about it. This is Monday morning, by the way. We go to prayer. We have a morning prayer that day. And I share my, I share my dream. I am excited because God is, is showing me something. I don't know what it is, but I'm so excited about it. I tell the preacher's wife, and she starts talking to my wife. My wife says nothing to me. And then they come back and they talk to me. Hey, how is this person? I said, well, he had short hair. I told about your dream. And how gave him the age, gave him the description. He says, well, they're bringing somebody here tonight. And I said, praise the Lord. They bring him in. It's a young man between the ages of 18 to 25. He had just gotten out of jail. He wanted to be redeemed. He, wanted to, he, he had fear in his life. And he wanted to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came and we baptized him. But what's even more, uh, more hypnotic, and I should say hypnotic, I'm sorry, forgive me. Not hypnotic, miraculous on the side of the Lord is that he allowed me to see these things. And I didn't know why at the time. There, this young, I, and I almost feel in my spirit that I should have um, reached out to the young man a little bit more often. As a matter of fact, I plan on doing that now that this is happening because it happened. I was thinking about it yesterday, but there was, there was a move of my life, and my faith grew from here, and I explained it to, to a few guys. No, actually, I didn't. Not this particular. It was from here to here. It, it's Faith grows. God shows you things that you, you cannot understand. He was at the ages. He was baptized in Jesus' name, and here is the catch before, uh, before that. They asked him, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? You know what happened to him? He started to stutter. What, 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 what? And I said, okay, amen. God is working in the midst. Just like he working, uh, was working back in the, he's still working right now. He's still with us today. So let's give him some praise because he's not going to stop. Even though we can't see it, he's still working. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God is true. The Bible says let let." Let the word of God be true and every man a liar. Amen. We want to hold on to the truth, walk in truth, preach truth, no matter what uh, the consequences are, because we know that uh, truth will ultimately prevail, and we want to be on the side of truth. Amen. Thank you for that, Brother Andy. Amen. It's, uh, it's great to see and hear how God works in different people, different experiences, but God knows what he's doing. Amen. It's his body, many members of the body. Amen. Uh, we're continuing on in our, our series uh, about the, the Great Reset. And um, we are diving into this special time period uh, that Jesus named the times of the Gentiles. And Israel is anxiously waiting for this time to be fulfilled. Because once the time that was given for the Gentiles to rule the world, and what's, what's going to happen after the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, after that it's going to be Israel's turn to rule the world. Right now the Gentiles are ruling the world, but after the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, Israel will be ruling the world and Jesus will be the king. 
He will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will rule on earth for a thousand years as the Bible talks about the millennial reign of Christ. And so that is what is coming after the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And won't that be a great day when Jesus comes and rules on this world? But thankfully, we don't have to, to blindly hope as to when this will come and happen uh, because God gave us a roadmap of the times of the Gentiles through the dreams and visions of King Nebuchadnezzar and of Daniel. And we're walking around, we're walking down this road now, and last week we learned how the, the head of gold and the lion with eagle's wings represented King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and history tells us that his, this Gentile kingdom came to an end in 539 B.C. And so, who came next? If the head is Nebuchadnezzar, the gold, what came after King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we see the chest and arms of silver. Uh, and so, mind you, that this dream and vision was around 603 B.C., Daniel was in the first group of captives that were taken from Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar first showed up in 605 B.C. The Bible says he took all the, the wisest ones, the best looking ones, uh, uh, the, the smartest ones. He took all those back to Babylon to start uh, programming them, reprogramming their minds and their, uh, to infiltrate their beliefs and to get the Babylonian culture if he can influence the, the best and the brightest, when the rest of them come, they should fall in line with the, the leaders that were taken away. And so this was Nebuchadnezzar's strategy. He, he, took, uh, he came to Jerusalem three times, and he took captives. The first group was in 605. This is when Daniel was taken. He was taken before Jerusalem was destroyed. The second wave of captives were, were sent away to Babylon in 597. And then Nebuchadnezzar came back. Uh, he didn't come back until 587 uh, B.C. And that's when he finally destroyed Jerusalem and he burned it to the ground. The third wave of captives were taken then. And so Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of the great statue. Some 70 years before the next empire would take over because he is, Babylon is represented by gold. Uh, and the next change, the next reset doesn't happen until uh, that empire comes to an end. And so, and remember, this is the, the Gentile view of the kingdoms of the world. And as we being Gentiles, uh, we would imagine probably something like this uh, since we are a Gentile. But it looks different than Daniel because Daniel's the Jew. And Daniel sees these Gentiles coming after his people. And so they don't look as pretty as gold and silver and bronze. They look different as animals. And so, so who is this chest and arms of silver that comes after Babylon? Uh, what nation is it? We're not told in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of who it is. But uh, according to history, history tells us that the Medes and the Persian Empire conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. So could the silver arms and silver chests, could that represent them? But let's cross-reference this with Daniel's vision and see if he can identify who it is. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, And behold, another beast, remember this is after the lion with the eagle's wings, 
Behold, a second beast, uh, like unto a bear, and is raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth of between its teeth. And they, they said thus unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. And so this is what Daniel sees next. The next empire that comes is represented as a bear. And so if you picture, put picture number one up there, this is kind of what Daniel sees. Uh, being a Jew, this does not look good for Jews because uh, the times of the Gentiles are meant to crush and trample upon the Jews. So the first thing we're told about the bear is that it's raised up on one side. Now the Medes and Persian Empire arose to power after Babylon. The Medes and Persians, two powerful kingdoms came together and conquered the world. But uh, history tells us when Cyrus the Great came to power, he was from Persia. And he ruled, uh, when he ruled, he took control over the Medes kingdom. And thus we can identify as the bear being raised up on one side. If they were equal in the beginning... Then all of a sudden the bear raises up on one side, meaning a greater power on one side has come. And we see that Cyrus the Great, the Persian, rose to power and conquered. He took over the Medes' kingdom. And so indicating a greater power. Um, And the three ribs in its mouth, we are not exactly sure what that is. But it is suggested that these three ribs represent the three powerful kingdoms that the Medes and Persians conquered. Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. Next picture, please. You can see what that, uh, you can see what it means uh, when it said, Arise and devour much flesh, because the blue is Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. That's the, their territory that they ruled. Um, the green represents Persia and the Medo uh, Persian Empire. Um, the red represents Egypt, and the yellow represents Lydia. All of this, this is the, the Medo-Persian Empire. This is who they conquered. Uh, Cyrus the Great and all these guys, they conquered this known part of the world. And so you can see that what it means to arise and devour much flesh when you compare it to how much uh, Babylon conquered to how much the Medes and Persians conquered. They, they devoured a lot. Um, And so, uh, interesting enough, Daniel has another vision of coming kingdoms in chapter 8. Different vision, uh, different animals in this one, and we need to decipher more uh, because all these animals coming in. Daniel 8.3, then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, behold, there there stood before the river a ram, had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. That kind of relates to the Medes and Persian Empire, two equal kingdoms. And then later on, one horn raises up. Picture number three, if you put that up. One horn raises up bigger than the other horn, which would coincide with the bear being lifted up on one side. And eight, Daniel 8 verse 4, I saw the ram pushing westward, pushing northward, and pushing southward. And you can see from that map how they pushed westward and they pushed northward and conquered Lydia and they pushed southward conquering Egypt. And so I wonder if that represents the three bears as well, northward, southward, and westward. 
Uh, so verse 4, continuing on, uh, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And so no nation could stand against the Medes and Persians. They conquered them all. Every nation that rose up to fight against them uh, was defeated by the Medes and Persians. But thankfully, we don't have to guess at what this ram represents because God told Daniel who this ram was in verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And so this helps clear things up that the ram with the horn that grows up bigger is Medes and Persians. Uh, and so that can identify, we can relate that with the bear as it raises up on one side as well. And so uh, maybe you're wondering, Pastor, why are we having this history lesson and why are we combing through the book of Daniel, figuring out what all these animals are doing? Because if these represent the times of the Gentiles and if these dreams and these visions of these kingdoms turn out to be correct, then the kingdom that is described for the end time, the time that you and I are in, that too will come to pass as well. If those, if those come to pass first and happen just like the word of God says, the kingdom at, at the end of the times will come to pass as well. It's, it's incredible that these visions were given to Daniel hundreds of years before they even came to pass, just like the word of God said that they would. The book of Daniel has been proven to be so accurate that modern-day critics say that there's no way, no way Daniel could have written this book around the year 600 B.C. There's no way. It's so accurate, there's no way he could have done it. And so what do they say? They say, they say it was written after all this happened, and some guy said he was Daniel, and he, he, wrote, he filled in history and said that this is the book. But uh, clearly the Bible talks about Daniel being there with Nebuchadnezzar. I, Daniel, I, Nebuchadnezzar. And that was in 600 B.C. And these kingdoms don't come into play until about 300 B.C. And so that is so they can't handle the truth, Brother Andy. And so what do they say? Oh, there's no way it could happen. He, it, it was written later because there's no way that any man could tell history has it's come to pass so accurate as this man David, uh, da Daniel did. And so it's too accurate. No one can predict the future like that. And so the critics say it had to have been written after the fact. It was so accurate. I'll tell you, um, this, this book was written about 150, uh, they say it was written 150 B.C. after all these kingdoms came to power. Uh, and the only, that's the only way that they can explain this. I'll tell you how I can explain it is we serve a living God. We don't serve a God that is made with hands, but our God is alive and he can speak to mankind and does and still does. And he knows the end from the beginning and he knows what's going to happen tomorrow, next week or next year. And he can speak to Daniel and show him things that are going to happen 2,500 years later and what they, what they will look like. Our God can do that. And so we don't need to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or the future because if God described all these things to Daniel and they came out to happen so accurately, uh, we know that we can put our faith and our trust in the Word of God. And so we put up the next picture, please. And so uh, we've conquered, uh, here's Daniel 2. 
uh, Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, these are representing the kingdoms, uh, Babylon, the Medes and Persians. Um, and so the chest and arms of silver in chapter 2 is represented as the bear in chapter 7 and the ram in chapter 8. And so what comes after the chest, of arms, uh, the chest and arms of silver is we move into the belly and thighs of brass that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision. And we're not given any explanation of this, who it is in chapter 2. But if we are to look at history, after the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon, who then conquered the Medes and Persians, if this is how things are playing out? Uh, and so who conquered the Medes and Persians? History tells us that Greece, the Macedonians, conquered the Medes and Persians, led by none other than Alexander the Great. But let's see if this interpretation of history, if that fits in with what Daniel's vision uh, shows. And we're going to skip the Daniel 7 vision because Daniel 7, we're not told who that animal is, but we'll skip to chapter 8 to see what that is and see if we can, if we can look back at 7 and see if it fits. Daniel 8 and 5, and as I was considering, remember he was, as he's, he was considering... Uh, the first animal, behold, uh, as he's considering that ram with a big antler on one side, I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with a coaler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. And so, picture number five, this is what he sees, uh, this ram, uh, this he-goat coming after uh, the, the ram. And so, we are told that the ram is Medes in the Persian Empire. Uh, and so, out of the west comes this goat, and it smashes the ram. Uh, and so, picture number six, uh, this is uh, uh, up there, what color is that, purplish? That's Greece. That's the Medes and that's uh, the Macedonian. Uh, what did the Bible say? He would come out of the west and smash into the, the Persian Empire. And this is what exactly Alexander the Great did. He came in and he conquered all of that. The Medes and Persians conquered it, but then the, out of the west he came and he conquered the known world then. And verse 8, therefore he, the he-goat he waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And so, uh, and verse 21 tells us exactly who this is. The rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king that is Alexander the Great. It's amazing how the Bible talks about Alexander the Great before 200 years before he was born. And now that being broken 
whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And so what happened to Alexander the Great is that he died at the age of 33. He conquered the world by his 30s, and he died at age 33. He expanded the Greek culture throughout the entire world, and that is why the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. When a New Testament shows up, it's written in Greek. What happened? Alexander the Great conquered the world, and Greek became the, 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 the world language. And so the New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament before Alexander was written in Hebrew. Uh, and so that is why that happened, because the language of the world was now Greece or Greek because of Alexander the Great. But we're told in Scripture that the great horn is broken, which means he's obviously going to die. Alexander the Great dies, and then four kingdoms come up, and it says, not in his power, not in the horn's power. What does that mean? Well, so have it that Alexander the Great did not have any children. So his, his empire did not pass to any of his kids. He didn't have kids. And so when he died, history tells us that he split his kingdom between his four generals. And each of the generals became king of four regions of the Greece empire. And thus the power did not come from Alexander the Great, their power, uh, because they were not of his seed. And according to history, this is so incredible, according to history, the records of Josephus, which is a, a historian, an old ancient historian who lived in the times of the church in the early uh, first century, this is what he says, this is what he recorded 2,000 years ago concerning Alexander the Great when he's coming to Jerusalem. Now, mind you, he's, his mindset, he's conquering the world. Every kingdom that stands in front of him, he's gonna, they're going to sur surrender or bow, or he's going to conquer them. Next in line is Jerusalem, because he's making his way around the world. And so this is what history says when Alexander the Great comes to Jerusalem. When the Phoenicians and the Sumerians uh, that followed him, Alexander the Great, uh, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city, that's Jerusalem. They, uh, the Phoenicians and Sumerians that were with him, traveling with him, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and torment the high priest to death, the high priest of God, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them. The very reverse of it happened. The people that were with Alexander the Great were ready to destroy Jerusalem. They were ready to torture the high priest uh, because it, he kind of insulted uh, Alexander the Great because Alexander the Great sent him word saying, send me resources, send me men to come fight in my army. And the high priest of Jerusalem says, no, as I told Darius, the one that you're conquering, the one that you're fighting, we're not, gonna, we're not getting involved in this. And the high priest rejected all that and said, we're not doing anything. Alexander the Great got mad. And he was ready to go to Jerusalem and kill the high priest. That's why uh, the Phoenicians and Samaritans were ready to uh, destroy this high priest to, uh, to death. But it uh, goes on to say, for Alexander 
when he saw the multitude at a distance, the, the Jews came out to greet Alexander. He saw them in a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed with fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing with his mitre on his head and, and having the golden plate whereon the name of God was engraved. That's the high priest comes out to meet Alexander the Great. He approached by himself. Alexander the Great told everyone to stay back. I'm going to go by myself, which, you know, that was, they were beside themselves. As they say, uh, he approached by, by himself and adored that name and first saluted the high priest. The Jews also did all together with one voice salute Alexander and encompass him about and whereupon the kings of Syria and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him disordered in his mind. They, something's not right with Alexander. Why is he doing this? Why is he walking up to them by himself? Why is he saluting this high priest? Something's not right with Alexander. However, Parmenian alone went up to Alexander and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adored him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews. All these kingdoms that we have conquered, they have all come out to adore you and worship you. And how is it that the only high priest that you have adored is the high priest of the Jews? What's going on here? Why haven't you done this to any other empire? any other priest of any other religion, of any other nation? Why all of a sudden now are you walking by yourself and you greet this high priest and you adore the high priest? Uh, to whom Alexander, this is what Alexander said, I did not adore him, but the God who has honored him with his high priesthood. And so Alexander adores and worships the God of the Jews, which they're thinking, what's going on here? This is history telling us this. And Alexander says, For I saw this very person in a dream, in this very habit, this very scene, when I was in Dion in Macedonia, who when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, this God uh, exhorted me to make no delay, but boldly pass over the sea thither, for that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. And so Alexander says, I had a dream back home in Macedonia, and I saw this, this, this crowd of people come out in white garments, and this high priest with this gold thing on his chest with the, the name of God on it. And when I came into Jerusalem and I saw these white people, these white uh, clothed people come out to greet me. I immediately remembered that dream as he says here. Uh, Whence is that, having seen no other in that habit, all the places I've been, I haven't seen anything like this. And now seeing this in person in it and remembering that vision the, and the exhortation which I received in the dream that God spoke to Alexander, he's saying, and said, don't worry about Persia, you go and conquer it, I will be with your army. Uh, and so, which I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army under the divine conduct, 
and shall therewith conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians, and that all things will succeed according to what is in mine own mind. And when he had said this to Parmenian, and had given the high priest his right hand, what the, the right hand resembles is the, the hand of power and authority of a king. And you extend the, the right hand to somebody, that's, that says a lot. And so here Alexander extends his right hand to the, the high priest of God, the, high, the Jewish high priest. And the priest ran along by him, and he came into the city of Jerusalem. And when he went up into the temple, he offered sacrifice to God. Alexander the Great offered sacrifice to God according to the high priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priests. And, and so Alexander the Great comes into the temple of God in Jerusalem and he worships God, the God of heaven, because God apparently had spoken to Alexander back in Macedonia and saying, you're going to conquer uh, the Persians. And if that is not fascinating enough, it goes on to say, And when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, he, Alexander, supposed that himself was the person intended. And so the very words that you and I just read in Daniel, that, those very words were read to Alexander the Great, and he says, that's me. That, that, that great, that, that he goat with the horn that comes and conquers Persian, he says, that is me. And he supposed that he was that person, and when he was glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. But the next day he called them to him and bid them ask what favors they please. He called the Jews back and, and says, what, what do you guys want? What do you guys want? And whereupon the high priest desired that they might enjoy the laws of their forefathers. And uh, they, wanted just, they just want to worship their, the God of their forefathers. And they might pay no tribute on the seventh year. Why, why didn't they want to pay tribute on the seventh year? If you remember, that's the Sabbath year where they didn't, they didn't do anything. And so Alexander the Great, all we want is to worship our God the way our forefathers did. And the seventh year, we're, we don't want to pay you any taxes. And he granted all they desired. And when they asked him that he would permit the Jews in Babylon and Media to enjoy their own laws, there are still Jews in Babylon, um, when they asked him about the Jews, he willingly promised to do hereafter what they desired. And so Alexander the Great says, when I go into Babylon and I conquer Babylon, the Jews that are there will be granted the same privilege that you guys have, which is you, just, you worship the God of your fathers and you don't pay taxes to me every seven years. You want to talk about the favor of God. Alexander the Great, the mighty king and commander who destroyed entire nations and people, 
He just happens to take a liking to the Jews and lets them do whatever they want. They don't have to worship the Greek gods. They can worship the God of their forefathers. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. Because God is in control and God is watching over his people. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're going through. If he can deliver the Jews out of the hand of Alexander the Great and give them favor in the eyes of the great greatest military commander of all time, don't you think he can deliver you out of your situation? Is your situation too strong for God? Is, is the enemy too powerful for our God? I don't think so. God knows where you are at and he knows what you are going through. But sometimes we need a reset in our thinking. We need a renewing in our minds so that we can see again through the eyes of faith that if God is for us, who can be against us? If our God is for us, it doesn't matter who comes our way, who's coming down the road. It doesn't matter if Alexander the Great is coming to conquer the nation of Israel. God can step in and save the Jews from even Alexander the Great. Musicians, if you would come. And so that is the he-goat and that we are specifically told was Alexander the Great. Now we turn to chapter 7, the other vision that Daniel had of the empires, of the kingdoms, of the Gentiles. Daniel 7 and 6. After this I beheld, and lo, another. This was after the bear. Uh, lo, behold, another like a leopard, which had upon the, the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Picture number seven, this is what, this is what he saw, uh, a four-headed leopard creature with four wings on it. And so if Babylon was the lion with eagle's wings, you can put up the next picture, the powerful combination of the lion and eagle's wings uh, this is, is representative of the nation of Greece. Uh, what about a leopard? What does a leopard mean that has four wings? Well, if birds' wings represent speed and swiftness, and the Babylonians talked about eagles' wings, they only had two wings. What would four wings mean? It would mean it's a lot faster than uh, the Babylons were, Babylonians were. Four wings would mean it happened really fast. A leopard is faster than a lion, and four wings are much faster than two wings. Do you know how long it took Alexander the Great to conquer the whole world? Ten years. Ten years Alexander the Great conquered the known world. Sometimes I wonder what I've done with my life in 10 years. And this man conquered the whole world in 10 years. On horseback. He rode every place. He rode on his horse. Every place he tried upon, he conquered. And not just riding through Greece and Persia and Israel and Egypt and Babylon and India. He just didn't ride through all those places like a like a, a quick journey. No, as he was moving, he was fighting battles. 
And so it's not just a, a, a one-way drive through the world. He had to lead armies through these places, and he had to fight battles, and he had to win them and to keep on his conquest to take over the world. And history says that Alexander the Great was undefeated, never lost. How does something like that happen? How do you take 30,000 infantrymen, walk from city to city, across the world, defeat the armies, and go on to the next city and defeat them too, and the next defeat them, and the next defeat them. How do you fight against a Persian bear who was told to devour much flesh? And how do you fight against an army of, they say, at least 250,000 soldiers and some estimates even up to a million men? How do you fight an army like that with 30,000 soldiers? How do you, Alexander, only lose a thousand men in battle and Darius, the king of Persia, lose a hundred thousand? How did you defeat them and move on to conquer Babylon and then go on to conquer India? How do you do that all in 10 years? I don't even know if we can do that in 2020. And this man did it on horseback over 2,000 years ago. How does that happen? Scripture says dominion was given to this leopard and that none could stand before that great he-goat. And so if God gives this king dominion over the earth, guess what? He's taking dominion over the earth. Nothing's going nothing's gonna to stand in front of it or stop it. Then that is what's going to happen. And all of this... The book of Daniel was written 250 years before Alexander the Great was even born. And we have it, history spelled out down to the word. If you stand with me today. And there are times that you and I get worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Or maybe we're chewing our fingernails off thinking about the election that's going to happen in two months. Yet God's word declared events some 2,000 years before they ever happened. And it happens exactly as described in the word of God. People, they can't explain it. They just say that that can't happen. And they write it off. They say, nope, he didn't, Daniel didn't write this in 600 B.C. No, somebody named Daniel must have wrote it in 150 B.C. after all this happened. So, yeah, you can easily fill in the blanks now after, after it all happened. But, no, Daniel wrote this in 600 B.C. What other religion out there has a book that tells the future and is right about it? With such precision that the Bible describes can Islam and the Quran describe events 2,000 years before they happen? And they happen exactly that way. Can Hindu and every other Eastern religion out there describe the future down to the exact detail and be right about it? If you're wrong on one, if you're wrong on one detail, it's, all, it's wrong. The fact that God gave these visions to Daniel 250 years before they even begin to happen, and they happen exactly the way they did.
Only the Bible can do that. Because Jesus is the Almighty God, the one true God, and there is none beside Him. There is no one like Him. And this, and His Word is going to stand forever. It will not return void. It is forever settled in heaven. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry about what the future holds. Why? Because it's already written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's already written down in the Book of Revelation. If you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, read the Book of Revelation. If what Daniel saw happened exactly as he described it, then the book of Revelation is going to happen exactly as it's described as well. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the book of Revelation. Right. You're saying, really, Pastor, it doesn't sound good. I know it. It doesn't sound good for the people who are left here on earth. But to the church that God takes out of here... We're going to have front row seats of watching all these things happen. We got balcony seats. And so I'm looking forward to the book of Revelation coming to pass. Why? Because that means we're going to be with Jesus Christ. We're going to be with him in heaven. And it's going to be a great time for the church and born again believers. Amen. So we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to fear because we have the word of God. And we need to hide it in our hearts. Amen. And hold on true to it because it's coming to pass. It's happening right before our eyes and we got to keep our eyes looking up to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's coming. Do you believe that? Can we worship the Lord together? Can we thank him for his greatness? Can we thank him for his word that is forever settled in heaven? Oh, thank you, Jesus. We worship you tonight, Lord. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. He can move a mountain. Keep me in the valley. Nothing too great or too small for him. My God is awesome. Heals me when I'm broken. Strength where I've been weakened. Forever He will reign. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. Keep me in the
Oh, do you believe Thank that? You, do we worship him? Do we lift up the Lord, name of Jesus? Jesus? How great you are, Thank Jesus. You Hallelujah, Thank Lord. You, God, you rule and reign, Lord, majesty, Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. It's, it's really fascinating to know that the very scripture we're talking about, the very scripture that we read, Alexander the Great read himself, and he says, that's me. Amen. Everyone knows Alexander the Great, but do they know that he worshiped Jehovah? Do they know that he, he offered sacrifices to God? They re, he recognized that it, it was him who was in control. He, he was in control of, of Alexander's army, as he said. Amen. It's amazing. The times of the Gentiles, fascinating times, but we know it's coming to an end. And that means Jesus is getting ready to rule and reign on this earth. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.